Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everybody, Chris Peters here and welcome to another edition of Talking Hockey Sense. It's episode 84 of the podcast. So glad you could join me for it because it's right in the thick of everything. We are almost to the NHL draft as we record this three weeks away from the opening round of the NHL draft. Can't wait to see how everything shakes out, but we're already kind of starting to do that. We try to predict things before they happen, right? So the mock draft for uh, this upcoming draft, and there will be another one coming later on. But the pre-scouting combine mock draft is now up on flowhockey.tv. We're going to talk about that a little bit today. Also going to talk about the upcoming scouting combine, which I'll be at in Buffalo in the next couple of days here, because that is basically the last major draft event of the entire year. And there's no more on ice component. It's all about the physical testing and everything else. So we'll talk a little bit about how the combine kind of factors into the decision-making processes and also how it kind of helps me do my job a little bit better too, to try and give you some of the best information possible uh, when it comes to the NHL draft. So before we get into that, I did want to also mention that the Kelly Cup finals are fully underway on flowhockey.tv. The Florida Everblades have a 2-0 series lead over the Idaho Steelheads, which is the regular season champion, and the Everblades, of course, of course, the defending Kelly Cup champion. So they're looking for number two, and they are now just two wins away from repeating as champions. Now, the Idaho Steelheads, they've been in this situation before. They've been down two games already. That's exactly how their first series went against the Utah Grizzlies when absolutely nobody gave Utah a chance, and they jumped on Idaho early. Well, Idaho, of course, won that series, then they move on, and they've really haven't had as much trouble in the last couple series, but this time around, it's gotten pretty difficult. And so Florida Everblades, you've got uh, them they're, they're They've got so much talent there. They're also the affiliate of the Florida Panthers. So a good time to be a Florida hockey fan, Idaho, the affiliate of the Dallas stars, which also went on a deep run. They did get a couple of players back. Dawson Bartow has come back from uh, the Texas stars, which were also went on a deep run. So really good year to be in the Dallas stars organization as well. Uh, but, you know, now Idaho has a hole to dig themselves out of, and they'll have to do it on the road the next three games at Hertz Arena in Estero, Florida. And uh, you can watch all of those games on Flow Hockey. So make sure you are subscribed. Stay with us throughout the summer. We're going to have plenty of hockey coming your way with the Beauty League as well. So uh, even after the Kelly Cup is handed out and the champion is crowned on our last 
official season of the regular season, the 2022-23 season, we got a lot more coming your way. So definitely stay with us. But let's get back to the NHL draft. And let's talk a little bit about the mock draft that I just put out on flowhockey.tv. You can read that. Picks 1 through 32. So we're talking about a first-round mock draft. No real surprises at the top. You probably expected I'd mock Connor Bedard to the Chicago Blackhawks. Of course I did. Uh, You'd probably expect that Adam Fantilli was mocked to the Ducks because I've been saying on this podcast for a while that that's where I think he is the best fit. And, of course, that's where he ends up. Where it starts to get interesting is really at number three because you start thinking about, well, there's Will Smith, there's Leo Carlson, there's Matthew Mitchkov. You know, is any other players kind of in the mix? Does anybody have David Reinbacher? particularly high, the right shot defenseman. It seems like he's going to go pretty high in this draft. But with that third overall pick, you've got a team in Columbus that has basically told anybody that will listen, they're taking a center. Uh, I think after Yarmo Kekalainen was at the men's world championship, got a chance to see Leo Carlson up close and personal. I really do think that that's going to ultimately be their pick. It's not set in stone. Uh, they did make it a significant trade, adding Ivan Provorov from the uh, from the Philadelphia Flyers and then traded away their first-round pick as part of that package. And so the Philadelphia Flyers have gotten an extra first-rounder. So a little bit surprising to see Columbus spend that big, but they did need help on the blue line, something more immediate. And now they've got Ivan Provorov back there to go along with guys like Zach Wierenski and the upcoming David Juracek and, and other players like that. So Leo Carlson there. Next up, the San Jose Sharks, another team that has a very strong decision to make because they could go ahead and and take the big swing and go after Matt Vemichkov. No, they're not going to get him for the next three years, Uh, you know, or they could potentially land a very significant piece for their future in Will Smith, a highly skilled center that can drive play and, you know, gives them a lot of value. It might be the safer pick to go with Smith, but, you know, I think that they'll at least be tempted by Mitchkov. Will they actually do it? That's another thing entirely that we'll have to wait and see. But in the mock draft, that's where I put um, Will Smith with the San Jose Sharks. At number five in Montreal, this is where I think things could go a little bit off the rails. While I do think it's very possible that they're going to take a scoring winger here or a scoring forward, they are among the teams that I think will be tempted by the opportunity to draft a right shot defenseman with size, with good two-way capabilities. And I did put David Reinbacher to them at five. I do think Reinbacher is going to go higher than you've seen him on a lot of the public lists. I think that there's a lot of enticing forwards, but Reinbacher is a legitimate you know, potential, at least in terms of sealing a top-pairing guy. And that is if you're picking in the top five and you're looking for defensive help. And, and let's face it, the, the Habs have plenty of good talent on the back end but they could probably stand to use a real blue chip prospect. If that's what they believe Ryan Bacher is, that'd be a very strong pick at number five. It's not necessarily need-based. I do think there are a lot of teams that have Ryan Bacher very high on their draft boards, and we will wait and see if Montreal is one of them. Number six, the Coyotes get Ryan Leonard, but I really wanted to focus on number seven because as I mentioned just a little bit ago, the Philadelphia Flyers made a significant trade, moving Ivan Provorov, and getting a significant return in terms of draft capital to to take on a couple of bad contracts from Los Angeles. They also got some other pieces from Columbus and including that top pick. So they get in the trade, they get an additional pick. And what I think that the, the reason I bring up that trade as being so important for the mock draft is I think that this was our first signal from Daniel Briere 
the new general manager of the Philadelphia Flyers, things are going to change in Philly and the rebuild may be in the offing. We started hearing rumors that Carter Hart could be on the move. There's been a lot of speculation that Kevin Hayes will be on the move. There's a lot of, you know, kind of a reset happening in Philadelphia. They're kind of going with the the brand new orange and, you know, trying to set this whole thing with Daniel Breer and Keith Jones as their, you know, their brain trust on the hockey operations side. We don't have a lot of indication of how Daniel Breer is going to, you know, structure his staff going forward and differently. You know, he has made some significant hires and has made a couple of changes here and there. Um, but, you know, largely the amateur scouting staff is still intact and everything is kind of the status quo there. Will they continue to make the same decisions that they've been making or is Daniel Breer going to put a new stamp on the team? And so on the mock draft, and I'm not going to go through every single pick. I'm just going to, after this, we'll jump around a little bit. But I did want to get to this one because I think Matvey Michkov is going to be a real possibility for the Philadelphia Flyers, and I'll tell you why. If Daniel Breer is really serious about rebuilding, if he is absolutely sure that this team needs a reset, there are a few ways to make a bigger splash at number seven, which is kind of just outside the range of those foundational prospects, those guys that are going to make a difference in your future in, in the long term, the near term, you know, there, there's there's a lot of other players that have plenty of other risk, and Mitchkov has plenty of risk himself. But he has possibly some of the most boom potential that we're talking about here. Could he be a significant piece for the future of the Philadelphia Flyers? And I'll tell you what, I, I don't think Daniel Breer is going to be afraid to make that call because he is starting to make those decisions. How long have the Flyers resisted rebuilding? They have resisted it for years and years, even though it probably needed to happen more recently. So if they do this teardown, you're not going to need Matthew Mitchkov until his KHL contract is up. He still has three years left on his deal. You know, would you like to have him sooner? I'm sure. But this is a guy that still needs to develop physically. He still needs to get, you know, more reps at the professional level. We started to see him really come on last year, but now let's see what he looks like when he is playing for Scott St. Petersburg, when he is getting big opportunities with one of the big clubs where he's going to be a star player. And so I really do think that Danny Briere has a has an opportunity here to make one of the splashiest picks of this draft at number seven. And I don't think you can make a bigger splash in that range than with Matt Vamichkov. So if you're a Philadelphia Flyers fan, you're probably not feeling too patient right now. If you draft Mitchkov, patience is going to be the thing. But they also now have that pick at 17th overall or 24th overall uh, or 22nd overall. <laughs> so let's just keep guessing. Um, you know, so they have that 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 second pick that they got from Columbus that previous belo- previously belonged to Los Angeles, and they have a chance to draft another good player. I mean, the first round is very deep this year. There's plenty of good options. I think, you know, in our mock draft, David Edstrom was the pick there as a big center with skill and some speed. And he's also a bit of a raw prospect. So that's another patience play. If Philly goes through and does this full studs down to the studs rebuild, you know, then they're in the mix for Macklin Celebrini next year. They're in the mix for another top pick. So they are going to start building a foundation of players and prospects that are going to be part of the new era of Philadelphia Flyers hockey. And I, I really do believe if there's going to be somebody that's going to take that swing, we don't know how risk-friendly uh, risk Danny Briere is going to be as a general manager, but I cannot wait to see what he does because I do think that Mitch Kov will be a potential option for the Philadelphia Flyers. And that is really the pick that could set off the whole thing. I think it's one of the most fascinating storylines going into the draft. 
When does Matt Faye Mitchkov go? Where does he go to? And what are the things that they say about that pick when after it's made? Because it is an absolutely fascinating kind of experience to, to see what these teams are going to do. I think there's a lot of teams in that top six, seven, eight, nine that, you know, that they have to really consider Mitchkov, but will any team actually pull the trigger? I do think the Flyers have a chance to be that team. So that one will be absolutely fascinating. We're going to move down a little bit further uh, in the, on the list that I put together. And, you know, I think the, the next thing is going to be after Reinbacher goes, which will be the next defenseman taken. And in the mock draft, I actually have Tom Vlander ahead of Axel Sandin Pelik. I have Vlander going to the uh, Arizona Coyotes at 12. And that is a team that desperately needs some more blue line help. They do have a few prospects in there that, that, that will help them, but I think they could use a real impact defensive player. And that's what Tom Vlander is. He's a good defender. He's a great skater. He does a lot of things. Well, he's been on the rise. I think if you watch him at the under 18 world championship, you see an NHL style defender. You see a guy that, you know, while he's not massive plays a good physical game is, is very, responsible defensively. And then he does have some offensive abilities, even though he's not a, a big producer. So that's going to be fascinating. I do think that Vlander could be the number two defenseman off the board. Realistically, I think that no matter what the Coyotes do, if they pick a forward at six, if they don't pick Reinbacher, I think they've got to consider one of the top defensemen at 12, no matter what. Um, it's a position that is important for their future. They've just gotten rid of Jacob Chikrin. They've gotten, you know, th there's the, the players that they have. I don't think they really have blue chip prospects on the blue line, but I think either Reinbacher, Vlander, Axel Sandin, Pelica could be difference makers on the blue line. Moving on, I wanted to have a discussion about size. We talk about it every year, but this year in particular is fascinating to me from a size perspective, because let's think about some of the the best players in this draft, Connor Bedard, Matt Vaymichkov, Zach Benson, Will Smith, uh, Ryan Leonard, uh, Gabe Perot, Andrew Crystal, um, Riley Height, uh, Braden Yeager. A lot of these guys are under six feet tall. And if you've been watching the Stanley Cup playoffs, everybody's really been talking about how big Vegas is. And it is true. They're big, they're burly, they're hard to play against, and they are currently dominating the Stanley Cup final. Size matters. It does. I mean, you know, there's, you can't have a team that's all one thing or all this. Uh, you definitely need skill. There are certainly some players like a Jonathan Marchessault who doesn't necessarily have that size factor, you know, that, that makes a significant impact in the playoffs. And so you can't forget that either. But I do think teams, there, there's, I think there's a pretty significant difference based on what I'm hearing from scouts between what the scouts have in terms of their Higher, higher picks, like the, the top tier picks, excluding guys like Mitchkov and Bedard, who are exceptional, you know, Will Smith again, and Ryan Leonard, like they, they're, they're kind of in that class. But I think some of the other players, guys like Zach Benson, Braden Yeager, even Gabe Perot, um, you know, Oliver Moore, all of those players that are kind of sub six foot players are candidates to go much lower than you're going to see them listed publicly. And on the mock draft, that's kind of what happened. It, you know, I've got Zach Benson going 17th in this one. That's to Detroit. Number 18, Gabe Perot to Winnipeg. Number 20, Jaeger. You know, so that's Seattle. So that is, that's just based on the feel that I'm getting is that a lot of these smaller players, while they're exceptional in terms of their offensive abilities, especially in the, in the case of Benson, 
and Perot, there, there's still that concern that says, how many guys, how you have to be a pretty special player to play at that size effectively and be a producer at the NHL level. And when you're drafting in the top 15, top 20, you want players that are going to make a significant offensive impact. Now we know from history that not everybody can do that in that range, but I'm telling you right now, these players, while I personally like them, I had Benson as a top 10 pick. I had Perot very high. I had Jaeger pretty high. Like, you know, those are still the risks that teams are trying to manage and saying, what is the probability of that player panning out versus a Samuel Hanzik, who's six foot three, a Matthew Wood, who's six foot three. And, and both of those players, it's not just that they're big, they're also very gifted offensively. Did they have the points and the production of some of the other players that we're talking about? They didn't, but they have that extra advantage. And I think teams are going to consider that. You know, that's that's the thing. In this year's draft, we've talked a lot about the depth. There is a lot of depth. There's a lot of upside in this draft, but there's also a lot of risk because there's a lot of players that are smaller than NHL average that teams are going to have to make a very big decision on. You know, I think that, you know, I put Zach Benson in the top 10 knowing full well that there's probably a, a, a low chance that he goes in the top 10. I think he's. I don't think he should go lower than the top 15, but in this mock draft, just based on the feel and the way the picks fell, I felt that, that was absolutely a possibility. So it's going to be fascinating to watch that kind of unfold because I think guys like Benson, like Perot, and Jaeger in particular are going to be players that can slink back a little bit further than you might expect. Same with guys like Andrew Crystal, Jaden Perron. I mean, players that you know I might not have even had in the first round, like Perron, like Grayson Sachin, you know, players like that. That you know, there how many players sub six foot players are you going to see selected in the first round? I think this year will be a higher than average because that's just there there are more and they're better than you know in years previous. But that's a that's a real discussion the teams are gonna have. That's also why I had Axel Sandin Pelica as the third defenseman taken, not the second, like a lot of people would have him. So that's why, you know, these are the things that you think about when you put a mock draft together. I can't just think about the way that I would build a team. I'm trying to think about how NHL teams are doing it. And so that's why the rankings are very different from the mock draft. So, you know, you can look at my top 100 on flow hockey and then look at the mock draft. And there is a wide variance between what I believe and what I also think could happen on draft day. So that's what, and that's why I'm, mock drafts are really fun to put together because you try to put yourself in, you know, 32 team shoes and, and put it all together. And it's very difficult to do one more on the mock draft before we get out of here. And I want to talk about goaltending because I've talked a lot about, I don't necessarily know or think that there's going to be a goalie that goes in the first round. However, that tune is starting to change a little bit because the more you talk about it, the more you hear about it, the sheer volume of goaltenders there are teams that are definitely going to want to jump the line. And there are teams that are probably going to weight their lists a little bit to favor some of these goaltenders that are higher end. One of the things I love about this class is that there is a good solid goaltending group. We talked about it last week. You can actually watch a full clip on YouTube about the goalies that we talked about that were in my top 100 rankings. But I think there's really only one player that is going to get a significant opportunity to be the first round goalie of this draft. I think it is Michael Hrabble from the Omaha Lancers recently announced that he will be going to UMass next season. You know, I think he'll probably play at least three years there um, and, and be 
you know, just continue to develop at the pace he's developing at. There are there are no goalies, I at least for me, that have the highest has highest ceiling as Harabel does. He is a competitive player. He's quick. He's huge at six foot six. He checks all the boxes teams want. So I put him at number 27 to the Colorado Avalanche. Now the Avalanche are very specifically chosen. Um, you know, I was actually recently on a podcast, the DNVR Avalanche podcast, um, with AJ Hayfley, and I was talking about, you know, we, we kind of talked about this, this idea. And it stuck in my head. And the more I thought about it, the more sense it made to me. Now, Colorado is a very analytically inclined um, franchise. They're, they, they have, you know, a robust analytics department. They've got, you know, obviously their scouting department. There's all sorts of interesting scenarios. I think a lot of those teams tend to shy away from goalies. And especially since Michael Robble does not have amazing numbers. Uh, he was on one of the worst teams in, in the USHL by record. Um, and that obviously is going to impact a goaltender still, you know, you, you want to see progression. He did very well at the under 18 world championship. Good last impression. I think when you draft a player like Carabo, you are drafting a package. You are drafting the future. You are basically making a huge bet on upside knowing that there's risk, but when you're picking 27th and the Colorado avalanche will not pick again until the fifth round of this draft, barring trades, they, the fifth round, imagine if you come out of this draft and you get, you know, okay, you might've gotten a middle six forward or a bottom two pairing defenseman or, you know, a high upside center. That's a bit of a project, or you could draft a number one goalie. I think that the risk reward of drafting a player like Harabal at that range, especially for a team like Colorado, the reward is pretty high. The risk is even higher because goalies are inherently full of risk. We are, they are among the least predictable, even as teams continue to invest in goalie scouting and experts that, that do this, it's still going to be a process to get those players to where they need to be developmentally in order to reach their full potential. And it is anything can happen along the way that completely knocks a goalie off the rails. But I really think that this is a, 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 a place where Harabo could go because if you're Colorado and you say, we're not going to have another pick. So we've got to, you know, why not take a big swing? You know, you, what would you rather have a bottom six forward or a number one goalie, a, a bottom two pairing defenseman or a number one goalie? You know, that's not to say that Harabo is a guarantee to be a number one goalie, but if that's the ceiling and if that's the optimism you have for him, that's the risk worth taking, especially for a team that has a core intact, that has players under long-term contract, that has some some kind of uh, short-term stability in order to support that. You know, This is a team that definitely does not have a strong prospect pool at the moment either, but you can land a player like Rabo who has the highest ceiling. So that's why, to me, I thought Colorado made a lot of sense there. So make sure you go and read. That's a, just a summary. You know, we got through many picks, but you can go and read the entire mock draft on flowhockey.tv. And I also want to pause for just a second to remind you that there is a ton of NHL draft content on Flow Hockey's YouTube page right now. We have clips from this podcast. Additionally, I've been filming other scouting reports. We have one up on Connor Bedard right now detailing what makes him so special. And it's not just me talking. There's also highlights. You can see some of the clips from throughout the season. You can see some of the things that I'm talking about with these players. We have a number of other CHL players that we're going to feature. You can also check out our draft, uh, our draft profile stories that we've done 
on the top three guys from the national team development program. Oliver Moore also in there, Trey Augustine. So you were talking Perot, Leonard Smith, uh, Adam Fantilli, Gavin Brindley from the university of Michigan. We have another one coming up with Brandon Arado, the, the head coach of Michigan that I think you guys will really enjoy as well. So you can get all that right at either flowhockey.tv or on our YouTube page. And it's just flow hockey right there on YouTube. Make sure you check it out. That's where this podcast also lives. That's where you're going to see a ton of clips. But we are trying to build as as robust an offering there for NHL draft fans that you'll see in terms of video scouting and everything else. And, and I'm really excited about where we're going with it because I've, I've had a lot of fun doing it. And I think that it's a little different than what I've done in the past. And I, I love that you guys are, are willing to read my work. Hopefully you'll be willing to listen to me talk some more after uh, having me in your, your podcast here for the last little bit. But, you know, and, and while you're, we're doing that comment on the videos, I'm going to get, try to start getting a little bit more active in the comment sections of those. We can have debates, we can talk about different things, but yeah, go over there and do not miss any of this because we've got so much stuff. And then of course, continue to read all the content that we'll have coming at you, especially from Buffalo. And that's why we transition here. Now we're going to talk about the NHL scouting combine and it will be happening in Buffalo. It is a great event each year to have. Uh, a chance to visit with players, to meet them, interview them, to, and that's for teams and for me. Uh, but then also we have the physical testing element on Saturday. So I'll be heading to Buffalo on Thursday evening, and then I'll get there. We'll have some stuff on Friday. We'll be talking to guys like Connor Bedard and Leo Carlson, um, Adam Fantilli, you know, and then on top of that, there are over 100 players that will be going through the physical testing portion of the scouting combine, which is the most famous part of the combine, but it's certainly not the only part of this week. Now players are already in Buffalo right now. Many teams are already stationed there. They've got it all set up where, you know, where the Sabres play, the physical testing will be in the Harbor center. Um, and, you know, I'm really excited to, to kind of get there. Like the physical testing, the results don't matter a ton. I think the process, how a player battles through the work ethic that they show, the preparation that they put into it, you know, how they've trained their bodies and different things that all matters there. And that'll be viewed closely by the strength and conditioning coaches and the team doctors and everybody else that's there observing these players, because it's not just all about, you know, how they score. It's also about, you know, how did they look doing it? Was there anything wrong with the technique? Was there other things? And the strength and conditioning coaches can provide all that context. Um, and then you've also got the medical testing, which is another key component of the scouting combine. We've heard many years where, where players have had something discovered that would either prevent them from playing or something that needed to get corrected before they were playing. It can impact things. You're not going to see a ton of movement between what the players are doing, um, you know, like or what teams feel about players and then where they're at after the combine. I just don't think there's a ton of movement, but the combine remains important. The interview process is important. Players can move up and down based on how things happen in Buffalo. And a lot of times it's the interview process that's the most important for teams. In addition to the medical testing where they get everything figured out. So the interview process, as we know, there's all sorts of you know famous weird questions, things where you try to make the player uncomfortable or try to you know see what makes them tick. And there's all different things. And I'm not really into the mind games. I don't think that that's necessarily helpful, but I do think there's really good opportunities for players to get to know a player. And also the thing that I think is one of the most important qualities of a prospect or anyone that's trying to get better, anyone that's trying to better themselves, self-awareness is a big thing. And so the, the, the scouts want the players to be themselves. 
They want them to to be exactly as they are. But also, I think the players need to understand being self-aware, accurately assessing yourself, accurate, accurately assessing your strengths and weaknesses. That's going to tell a team that you know what you need to do to improve. And when you are also, you know, you're, you're, how do you talk about your teammates? How do you talk about the, 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 your opponents? How you, there are going to be all sorts of questions about, you know, how much a player wants to win. And they'll put all these different scenarios towards them and say, how much do you want to win? You know, and, and sometimes I think the questions are harder than they need to be. But I do think that it's an important opportunity for players. They get to show their maturity. They get to show their personality. They also get to show, you know, these, it's a job interview. And at the end of the day, it's a job interview for a multi-million dollar opportunity. Um, and a lot of these players, I think scouts and, and administrators understand they are not fully formed. They are not who they are going to be as adults. They're, there's plenty that they're going to learn. But the foundation is set. So what they are, a lot of traits about their personality and how they act, how they treat people, all those different things, that comes into play. So it's a really important week for a lot of teams as they solidify their boards. It's not going to move guys significantly up or down. There are probably some guys that are on the bubble to be on the list at all, and maybe this is their opportunity to, to, to you know make a case for themselves. But more than anything, the combine is just that finishing because all the on-ice component is over. By the way, congrats to the Quebec Remparts of the CHL winning the Memorial Cup. The QMJHL has another Memorial Cup, and uh, boy, I got to tell you, Seattle – uh, that was a crazy finish to that one. Great team, but unfortunately it came up way short in the final, but man, I, this is, you know, to see that we're basically at the end of the season here and now we're at the combine. It seems like such a marathon when you're in it, but then you get to the end and it's just a sprint to the finish. And the fact we're only three weeks away from the draft is uh pretty crazy right now. So I'm really excited about where things are and what, this time of year means because we're going to be doing so much more with mock drafts, with rankings, with talking about, you know, the players that are further down the board. Um, and then, you know, talking about all these top players and where they might ultimately end up. So it's, it's the best time of year. And so I'm really excited to get out to Buffalo, really pumped to go get some wings at Gabriel's gate, which is, uh, where that's, that's my haunt. And also it's gonna be my birthday this weekend. So, uh, it is also treat yourself Saturday, up in Buffalo. So uh, watch out everybody after the combine is over. I will be, uh, well, I'll at least be eating wings. I'll also be watching the Kelly cup finals game. Uh, at that point, it'll be game four or game five. If they, if there is, if necessary on Saturday night. All right. So we're going to move on to our question and answer, which we do most episodes. we didn't have time for it last week. Got a few questions this week that I, I just wanted to zip through real quick that kind of are covering the same topics that we've already talked a little bit about. Um, and if you checked out last week's episode, which was all about the draft rankings, it's still all relevant. Nothing has really changed from that. You know, the rankings aren't different. So if you haven't listened to it yet, go back and check it out. Um, but I talked a little bit about process and, and that brought some, some other questions. And so I'm going to start with this one from a squared, um, because I think it's it's a really good one. And it's it's Chris wondering how you consider current success versus remaining ceiling on a player. Great question. Not always easy to answer and sometimes even harder to understand um, and really hard to come to. I think that this is something that I have tried to learn a lot more. Um, 
there are certainly players that are going to be available in this draft that have had achieved at a high level. You look at Zach Benson, Andrew Crystal, Colby Barlow, um, you know, Gabe Perot, Will Smith, Connor Bedard, even they, they, they produced at such an extraordinary level um, this season, but you also have to look at a lot of other things. So let's just go like Colby Barlow, for example, as a player that I listed in my rankings as having a, you know, a, Potentially, like he's probably closer to his ceiling, but I also think he has a very high floor. Um, so the things that we look for, you know, how physically developed is the player? Is there room to grow? Is there room to mature? Do we think that they're as tall as they're ever going to be? Do we think they're, you know, as strong as they're ever going to be? Can they tack on more weight? Can they do different things? And, you know, I think Colby Barlow is a player that has often been more physically advanced than his peers. You know, he's got a full mustache and a beard, you know, going this year. And that's, that's not a knock on him because he achieved at such a high level this year that you say, okay, well, the, clearly the hockey sense is there. The the shot is there. You know, it's just a question of how much better is he going to get? Is he going to be able to tack on even more strength? You know, he's not a behemoth physically, uh, but he's very, you know, he is strong. And so you think about that. Whereas you look at a guy like Gabe Perot and Perot has more physical growth to go. It looks like he's not, you know, he's, he still has some physical maturation. You know, will he get a little bit taller? Will he fill out more? I think that he has room to do both of those things. And so you, you take that into consideration as well. But, you know, I think most players that are going to achieve at a high level in junior hockey and that are going to put up a lot of points, you know, they're going to do so because they have those, those, those basic traits that you need. The hockey sense, you know, are they a good skater? Do they have other, other high-end traits, whether it's their shot, their passing ability, their vision, you know, different things like that. So I think hockey sense ends up being super tied to that overall ceiling. Um, so you say, okay, well, the points are great, but can he improve this, 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 and this to get to the NHL? Like if you're Andrew Crystal, can he get a, can he be a faster skater? Can he be a stronger player? You know, can he get stronger? Is he going to be able to find the seams that he does in junior? You know, those are the questions you have to ask yourself when you're talking about the player's ceiling. So, you know, if a player underachieved this year, it definitely moves them down, right? Because you're saying, well, why is that? They shouldn't, at this stage of their career, they should continually be moving forward. But that's not always the case. So you have to take into consideration the full, there, there's so many things that go into projecting ceiling where it's, you know, size, physical maturity, all those different things. And I think that this year, you know, there's a lot of players that have a lot of those questions that achieved at a very high level, which makes this whole boom bust scenario that much more uh, difficult to figure out. So I hope that answered the question. I know it's kind of convoluted and, and a little bit crazy, but uh, you know, that's basically it. There's so many different things that go into it, but ceiling and to, to, to go back and just answer it very shortly you have to you have to project out. You have to be leaning more towards what is the ultimate ceiling of this player versus what did they do in junior or what did they do in their draft season. That has to be, and and you you hope that what they did in junior informs what you believe they can do at the NHL level, and ultimately it'll be you know similar that way. All right, next question comes from Paul Talks Oilers, and Paul asks, just curious. How come Gulaev is not isn't in your first round? Well, it's a good question uh, because 
you know, he's not in my first round, but he was ranked 33rd on my draft rankings. And this gives us a great opportunity to talk about this imaginary wall between the first round and everything else. Just to get to the ranking part of it, to explain for, for Paul Talks Oilers, Mikhail Gulayev is a incredibly gifted, skilled defenseman from Russia. He has been, uh, you know, he's got good high-end skating ability. He has, you know, really nice skill. He, he can produce. Ultimately, as a sub-six-foot defenseman who is also Russian in this climate, I think it's going to be a lot harder for teams to say this guy is a first-round talent. I think there's enough there. I think there are enough defensemen around him that are probably going to go ahead of him. Um, you know, I just ultimately didn't see him uh, see the risk factor there as being like, you know, let's push him into the top 32. Um, you know, I think that it, it was really hard to get to that 32nd one. And I even think like now, like I have Quentin Musty at 32 on my list and I've already started to think I'm like, you know, way too low. And that happens all the time you know, where you, you, you have certain regrets instantly about certain things, but, you know, you make the list, you do the best you can and then see what happens. But, you know, I think that that's, that's one, you know, where Gulayev, I think it was more just, he's skilled enough to be a first rounder. He's got a lot of the tools, but the risk factor is, you know, where ultimately I think I kept him at 33. But again, we're talking about the difference between the player that I rank 33rd and the player that I rank 26th, which was Oliver Bonk, I don't think there's a huge gap there. In fact, I don't think there's a huge gap between any of the players that I ranked from 23 on to uh, between there and even maybe even down into the 50s. I don't think the gap is very wide. The thing is, is that the first round, there could only be 32 players selected. And I do think that no matter where the player is selected, whether it's first or 32nd, they're always going to be a first round pick. It's a great designation. They they in, intrinsically have more value. They have a little bit more cachet. They're going to be among the team's most no, notable prospects, and it 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 is totally understandable why you would you know, put so much weight. But thirty two picks, while it isn't a lot in the grand scheme of things, it is also a lot in the in when you think about drafts. How many players ultimately become impact players in the NHL out of an NHL draft? it's never as high as you think it should be. There'll be plenty of guys that'll play NHL games. There'll be guys that play in the AHL and are call-ups. There're going to be guys that are going to have a cup of coffee. There're going to be guys that have this maybe a year or two in the NHL. But that, and and that's including first round draft picks. So I think the one thing that I always try to think about is how big are the gaps between players ultimately? And really, once you start getting into the 20s of an of any first round, and even maybe in earlier in some others, like especially last year's, you're not talking about a huge gap between the guys that go in the first round and the guys that go in the second round. There are plenty of good second round players that are going to be taken. So, you know, I do think that while we train ourselves, you know, the first round good, everything, and, and even the NHL now having the first round on its own night and then everything else the next day, it also creates that level of separation. There's no question. And I, I think, you know, from a media standpoint, it's great. We love that. But from a from a actual prospect evaluation standpoint, you know, a lot of those guys that are ranked in the 30s, 40s, 50s of any of our lists or any of the team's lists, it, you know, 
doesn't make them a bad player. In fact, it makes them an exceptional player to be in that range. So, you know, I think that sometimes we do get a little too hung up on first round versus everything else. Um, so something to, to note and think about. But I, I love the question. I think it's a valid one because I know that Gulayev is a, is a first rounder in a lot of public lists. And for me, it was just, you know, risk reward factor. I think the reward's very high. I think the risk is a little bit higher. Um, and so that's something that, that I took into consideration because I try to think um, more like an NHL team, not always, because you'll see I'll do things like put Zach Benson in the top 10 and, and other stuff like that, that a lot of NHL teams probably wouldn't do. But uh, nonetheless, fun to think about. All right. Our next one is uh, kind of talks about something similar in this regard, and I'm, I'm excited to answer it. Uh, Pete asks, of the players you ranked in the first round, who has the greatest bust potential? To my amateur eye, Perot, Boot, Stramel, and Crystal seem like candidates. I don't think you're wrong. You know, like, I think that this year's draft has so much boom-bust potential. Um, I actually recently uh, did, a, did a spot with my good pal Guy Flaming over at the Pipeline show, and we talked about this very topic, this boom-bust topic. And one of the players, a couple of the players that you have on there were on my list, Daniel Boot and Andrew Crystal. Boots, I am super excited about because he's a six foot five player with tremendous hands. Um, and I do think that there is a significant bust factor and it has nothing to do with his ability and more just the situation. How like, you know, six foot five players are always going to get the benefit of the doubt, especially when they have the hands that Daniel Boot does. He's not a great skater, though. And you look at the, the reason that I have concerns is that, you know, the MHL in Russia is a solid enough league. It's a tough league to produce in. Um, it can be uh, a place where where players are absolutely challenged. But it also, also, you know, how does it stack up against other junior leagues? How does production in that league? And we didn't get a chance to see Boot in other settings. We didn't get a chance to see him at the World Juniors or at the World Under-18s or at any international competition that was against top-level competition. That gives us a measuring stick. It allows us to see how he does stack up. And that's a it's a valuable thing, particularly for Russian players, because I think the disparity between the guys that play, you know, if if there's a player that plays any any amount of significance in the KHL as Matthew Michkov did in his draft season, that is a substantial, you know, measuring stick for that player and to see how they do in that setting. It's less less so at the MHL. It's like what we talk about all the time. It's, you know, trying to rank players from Minnesota high school versus a USHL player, a USHL player versus a CHL player, a CHL player versus a European pro, like all those different things are what we're constantly doing, but it's been harder with the Russians because we aren't getting even any of those additional viewings where they're available and we can watch them and we can see them against their peers. And so that's another thing that, that makes it really difficult to assess a guy like Daniel Boot. So I do think there's a, a large boom bust potential with him. The thing is, is that the boom could be significant and that's what we try to weigh. And that's why I still have him as a first round guy. The one guy that I think I still am thinking, you know, I put him in the first round and the, you know, the more I watch, the more that I talk to people, you know, I do think that it is, it is probably less likely that we'll see Andrew Crystal selected in the first round. It's not impossible. It's not definite that he won't be. I have him 24th on my list, but I do think that's a player that's going to go later. And that might be the best thing for him because there is already so much scrutiny. He's such a polarizing player, and he's such a good player that if he goes in the second round, 
that first round pressure comes off a player and it can really be beneficial. There's a little less attention. There's a little, you know, and a player like him, we say it as a falling on draft day. Ultimately, these guys are going to go in a position, going at any positions, they still have a chance to make it to the NHL. But, but I think his offensive potential is such that I kept him as a first round player, even though I have significant concerns about his skating and significant concerns about his size. I think he competes well enough. He does all a lot of the little things well enough, but the size and the skating are definitely going to be concerns and something that we have to continue to track with him. Um, but I think those are the two guys that that you mentioned that I think you know that's there um, because and again, you know, when I rank a guy in thirty twos, if I if the guy that I rank thirty second is not as good as the guy that I ranked sixtieth, does that make the guy that's thirty second a bust? It more it just makes me wrong for one, but it, you know it doesn't make does it what what else does it ultimately do, um, you know? And I think that when players have the first round designation on them, if they don't pan out, they're automatically a bust. Well, there are plenty of guys that were drafted in the first round that are depth players in the NHL. Being an everyday NHLer is still a massive accomplishment, and it's really hard to project. And as I mentioned, there are only so many impact positions to go around with thirty two teams. You know, the, the top six, you've got your, t- your top six. Not everybody can be a top six forward. And a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of the players won't that will get selected this year. Uh, maybe there will be a higher percentage from this particular class because we view it as, as quite good. But there's also a lot of those players that have those high risk factors that could lead to a potential busting, if you will. All right, we got one more question, then we're going to get out of here. And this one comes from, I had to read the, the Twitter handle because I just love it. Two for one Yager bombs. And two for one, Yager Bombs asks, who is the Lane Hudson of this year's draft is in someone who's going to fall, but really shouldn't. I really think Grayson Sachin could be that guy this year. And that's a really, uh, it's an interesting question. I mean, the, you know, the jury's still out. You know, I've obviously been effusive in my praise for Lane Hudson over the last couple of years, but he hasn't made the NHL yet. So we don't know, you know, if he goes 62nd as he did, um, Ultimately, was was that right? We won't know for a few more years. Um, I certainly think that he'll prove people wrong, that he could have been a higher pick. But I think in this year's draft, you know, Sachin's a guy that's interesting. I think he's got uh, a, a wide range of opinions on him. Um, I think Riley Height could be a player that I think will go lower than he possibly should. I think his uh, his... He's not a great skater, but he's but he thinks the game at a high level. He's got tremendous vision. He makes a lot of plays. I just think he sees it really well um, and has a good understanding of how to create offense. And I think that's a guy that could go much later, you know, late first, early second, uh, maybe even beyond that. And and that's a player that I think could slip um, that I that I ultimately think shouldn't um, necessarily. You know, I think uh, another guy that I I can't wait to see where he goes is Bradley Nadeau from the Penticton V's. Um, one of the best shots in the draft doesn't have the size, but he's incredibly skilled. He's, he played such a, a phenomenal season this year in Penticton. Um, you know, and I think that he should be, he's, he's a reasonable candidate for first round and, and certainly second round early. But again, you know, some of those guys that play in the junior a leagues might not get as much of a run. They don't get a, a you know, as, as, as high praise. Um, you know, I think that that's the kind of guy that could go there. Uh, another one, Gavin Brindley, not really sure where he's going to go. I think he could be a late first. Um, I certainly think he should be a late first, but does he have enough offense and will teams overlook, you know, the fact that he isn't the biggest guy, um, but he's incredibly fast, incredibly competitive, you know, just a high motor player 
I think that ultimately he will find a place, but that's another guy that could could pro- probably dip a bit further if if the wrong teams pass on him, then it could be a little bit more of a tumble. Uh, so that's the way things go. That's the way things go in the draft, and and that's you know anything can happen. All right, so I'm going to head to Buffalo this week. I'm going to go eat some wings, but I'm also going to talk to a lot of NHL prospects. And when I come back next week, we're going to talk all about it here on Talking Hockey Sense because there is always, always news and information and things that you will need to know going into the draft that come out of the scouting combine. And this will be one of the many places on Flow Hockey that you'll be able to get it. Don't forget, you can download this podcast wherever you get podcasts. Make sure you're subscribed to it so you never miss an episode. This is the time of year where this is a really handy resource for you. I hope that you enjoy all the information that comes out of it and it gets you ready and excited for the NHL draft. You can also catch us on flowhockey.tv, the Flow Sports app, and as I mentioned before, YouTube. Just look for Talking Hockey Sense or the Flow Hockey channel on YouTube. Great places for that. Don't forget to subscribe and watch the remainder of the Kelly Cup Finals. Florida Everblades, they're up 2-0, but Idaho Steelheads should not be counting out. A record-setting team this year should be a great finish to that series. I do not expect Idaho to go quietly, and Florida is rolling a little bit right now, so it should be a really fun finish to that. But hey, we've gotten through another NHL Draft episode of this podcast. We're going to have a couple more, and even after the draft, we'll, we'll bounce back and talk so much more about it. So do not go anywhere. Make sure you're subscribed. Make sure you're coming back. We'll have much, much more on future episodes of Talking Hockey Sense. want to give a special thanks to everybody that asked questions. A huge thanks to Amanda for producing today's show and to all of you for listening. It has been an absolute blast, and we are only just getting started. The real fun stuff is coming real soon. So make sure you're joining us next week right here on Talking Hockey Sense. My name's Chris Peters. We'll catch you next time.